Throughout this season, you've been hearing a lot from us about ways to get out in nature, find inspiration, and reconnect with the things that matter. And I think we can all acknowledge this pursuit of balance is good for us. We need breaks. But something I find myself asking all the time is, how do I hold myself accountable to maintaining this lifestyle? To this pursuit of reconnecting and unplugging, especially in the craziness of all of our lives today. I didn't want to dig into this topic alone, so I phoned a friend, literally. Pete Davis started the company with me back in 2015. Pete is one of these magic people that everybody wants to do something with. Like, if you know him, he's got 10 projects going on at once. He's helping me start this company. He's doing a social justice project with another friend. He's best friends with some fancy tenured professor for whom he's making YouTube videos and getting them spread across the internet. The guy is incredible, smart, intelligent, busy, and relevant to this conversation, burns himself out doing all of these things, where I think I'm busy, and he's got five times as much going on as I do. And for that reason, I think it's really appropriate that we're working on this company that is trying to solve for that, to allow for time to be carved out outside of all the craziness of the world, which is not all externally imposed. A lot of it comes from ourselves and wanting to do a lot and wanting to help people and wanting to create things and wanting to do good in the world, but still that can leave us feeling burned out. As we prepare to do this episode, one thing I really didn't want it to be is uh, just Pete and I talking to each other. We talk to each other enough, uh, but thought it would be useful to have a conversation with him and all of you about the ups and downs of creating this company, of creating anything really, of living our own lives, about where we want to go, and about the things we're still struggling with as we do all of that. And so without any more introduction, a phone call between myself and Peter Davis. Have you been listening to the podcast? I have been listening, yes. To hear the stories of these people like falling in love, breaking up, making art, reconnecting, getting to know their kids uh, has been both powerful and uh, a much better use of our listeners' time than you and I uh, not being prepared for interviews. The quality of Getaway that we've discovered is it's really not about the thing itself. It's really about the people deciding what they're doing inside of it. The the most useful thing that Getaway provides people is just permission to turn off. Um, and they and so that's, you know, it's the podcast is catching up to that because it's mostly about the people in what they're doing when they turn off. Uh, not, you know, we have, uh, we have uh, two burner stoves or something. Um, it's more about, you know, talking to your kids. Uh, you know, discovering something, thinking about something. But one thing that's true about me and about you, and I, I think it's important that people know this, which is that we're struggling from this problem, like whatever Getaway is trying to fix um, around allowing more space and time to be off and to disconnect and recharge is something you and I uh, both uh, want and need and have wanted and needed for a long time. 
continuing to this present day. Yeah. So, um, and that then doesn't that know, it's, do you it, feel like a hypocrite? I feel like a hypocrite. No, sometimes. no. It's an, it's another wild thing about Getaway, which is that you know a lot of companies, uh, especially ones that you know have these messages, it's usually that the founders of them are like perfect embodiments of the spirit of the message. So, you know, uh, there's some beautiful celebrity who has perfect skin uh-huh. and they say, you it's know, everyone's wondering, so far how, do you, us. how do you have your skin? And they're like, well, here is the treatment that I use for my perfect skin. Um, and, you know, if we followed that model, John and I would be perfectly disconnected people who really balance our lives uh, and who, you know, want to share this secret with the world, but really we're the opposite. We're people that were searching just like the people that are searching when they, you know, use getaway. It's a, we are still searching and are still trying to balance it. You know, it's, this horrible irony that we wrote this book, How to Get Away, that has all this advice. And I still struggle to this day to live up to the advice. My mind and heart have been fully convinced by what we wrote. We wrote it with the spirit of our mind and heart, uh, you know, believing in this stuff and discovering this stuff. We were on a search for this. Um, But implementing it on the day-to-day, still a struggle. And sometimes I say, I have to live by what I've written more. Yeah, and so I mean, we've been at this for five years, yeah. and if if we haven't solved the problem for ourselves, doesn't that make us snake oil salesmen? Like, genuinely, how do you think about? Like, I know you well enough to know that um, you're really unbalanced from time to time, and I feel the same way. How do we I feel guess, good about that? Yeah, there, there are different steps. You know, um, you know, I struggle with this too. I wonder about this. There's different steps. One step is exiting the cult of busy and exiting the cult of productivity. And like both you and I have fully stopped believing, you know, we've, we've don't, we used to be into the like Silicon Valley productivity culture, life hacker. I know this for a fact, there were old emails where we'd send each other, Oh, here's a new tip on the Pomodoro method of productivity, or here's a new email thing that, that helps do this. Um, and we don't really believe in that anymore, but habits die harder than beliefs. And so we are just on the journey of having our habits meet what we believe. And so I'm proud of us for having different beliefs than we did, which is the first step. But the habit step, it's a, it's a process. So. Um, and have you made progress on the habits? Like if you compare your life. I remember five years ago, you and I were in a car. And we had to. We were going to speak at a museum. And we were this, in my yes. ex-boyfriend's car, and we both got into the car, and we were so overwhelmed because we were doing getaway, and you were in school, and I was in school, and we had ten other things going on that we we could not speak because we were so overwhelmed, genuinely. And then you proposed uh, we count down uh, in our heads uh, from two hundred to one, and that solved. We called it, it do. We called it doing a 200. Doing a 200. (laughs) And then we got to this museum, the Peabody Essex Museum, and we spoke. There was four people that attended our talk, one woman of whom was dressed, honest to goodness, uh, entirely in newspaper. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so if you think back to that time in our life when we were doing a 200 in the car on the way to the museum until now, have you made any progress on living a more balanced life? Let me be very... Can I be very vulnerable here? Yeah, we'll cut it later. Okay. <laughs> the, um, 
the biggest yeah so so through building getaway and through writing how to get away um we i feel like i fully like i was saying last time like developed a set of things to turn to very practical things um to turn to on like going into nature is good or if you're in one of these tizzies go on a walk in nature or you know don't bring like it's an abomination to bring your laptop into bed which used to be like a normal thing i would do um and so those practices have been implemented and that was very helpful like developing a set of practices to turn to now the question of having the will to turn to the practices i actually had one big moment in my life that changed it and this is the vulnerable moment where i'm on a plane um and i'm rearranging my iCal uh which I do to calm, I used to do to calm down. Um, and, uh, and I was trying to rearrange it to make everything work. And my fiance Lark turns to me and says, what if instead of trying to make it work, you changed your relationship to work? And she said, you should go. Talk I've been to telling someone. you this for years. Yeah, John had been t- telling me this for years, but I needed someone else to make it click. I had resistance to John, and Lark was able to finally get through because I. she caught me at this exact moment where I was like, if I rearrange my iCal to the perfect way, I will feel better. And I've been doing that for 10 years, as John has reminded me, you're never going to feel better from rearranging your iCal. And she just said, what if you just changed your relationship to work instead of trying to make work work? And productivity culture is all about making work work. And this balance culture is all about changing your relationship to work. And so I um, started working on that. And I had someone who told me that this is getting really vulnerable for the podcast. I had someone tell me there's a thing called um, a healing fantasy. And this phrase really uh, has hit me. A healing fantasy is a fantasy you have about what will heal you, what will heal the wounds in your life, deep wounds going way back. And we play out these healing fantasies in different ways. And um, uh, and ha- being frictionlessly productive was a healing fantasy. Um, and when if I only, finally If only worked, if I get my iCal in the right order, everything will be fine. That's what you mean. Yes, and you will adjust, you will solve the things that are the deepest. If you only know, once I hit inbox zero, I'll feel amazing and my life will be fixed. I will be healed. Once um, I get once, through finals. We talk about this a lot. Like, oh, once finals yeah. is over, everything will be okay. Yes, like, and that's like a short-term healing fantasy. And then there's like routine healing fantasies. Like if there's big ones, like like once I get that next job, I'll be healed. Or once I, um, you know, move to another place, I'll be healed. And sometimes there's rare moments where that is the case. Like you have a bad productivity system or you're living in the wrong city or you're with the wrong person or whatever. But most of the time, it's a much deeper thing. And... um. And we need to drop the healing fantasies and actually do the hard work of the wound healing. Um, that's actually like the long, hard, not healing fantasy, but healing work. Um, and that might be what will address the surface level things. Was this too deep for the getaway podcast? No, we're going deeper. Next, okay. deeper. If we're, if I agree with you, and I thought that was really insightful what you just said about the healing fantasy is the right way to solve it through all these little tips or how do you solve it? Because I don't want to 
either hear or tell listeners like, oh, give up on that dream of healing yourself. You got to work on the deep problem. And then how do you do that? Maybe like here's a here's a shot at an answer. I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. A draft at an answer is the anti the the kind of balance tips. We need to cut them down to size and say what their purpose is. What is the purpose of the balance tips? The purpose of the balance tips is the balance will like putting a plant in your office, going on a walk, you know, um, uh, putting your phone away at night. Uh, what were you know uh, having a tech Sabbath, you know, on Sundays or Saturdays. Um, that's not going to heal the deepest wounds, but it will give you space to heal the deepest wounds. Like one of the the things that is at the deepest level below all the tips, what all the tips are pushing towards is generating both physical and to use a goofy word, temporal space, space and time and space and space um, to actually sit with the depth the simple depth of what's going on in your life to, to, to have the quiet and the space and the lack of distraction necessary to actually go deep. Uh, Nicholas Carr called his book on, you know, digital frenzy, the shallows. Um, and what a great thing it was. It was um, the issue is not just that we're distracted or just that, you know, there's a lot of beeping and buzzing or just that it's loud. It's, it's that it makes you shallow. And I think all these tips are processing slow work to make you deeper. And in that depth, you'll find what you need to find to deal with the wounds. Okay, so when I'm using the phrase healing fantasy, which I just heard from this other person, um, I'm actually using that in kind of a derisive way. I'm saying like, hey, inbox zero won't heal the wounds in your life. Um, you know, getting the next job won't heal the wounds. Being perfectly frictionless like, oh my gosh, I ordered sweet green and answered emails and, you know, scheduled something perfectly on the iCal. Uh, that, that won't heal you. Um, but we're now asking like, oh, in the depth, in the stuff we're all talking about with balance, like the plants and the going on walks and the putting your phone away, and even the deeper things it's leading towards, like in the depth of quiet, in the depth of conversation, will that heal you? Is the goal healing of your wounds? Yeah, I don't know. I That's kind of like a solutionist way of thinking, like everything's a problem that needs a solution. And I think one part of depth is stopping thinking about things as problems and solutions and more just thinking about like, coming to terms with some things and, you know, just kind of facing them and not letting them be sublimated through other kind of distractions on the surface of your life. So, and when I say wounds, what do I mean? Well, it's the wounds we all face as humans. It's, um, there's the like existential wounds that we're all going to die. There's the relational wounds that people we love are going to die or might die before we do. So that's grief and the forethought of grief. And then there's the basic relational ones, you know, getting along with the people we love, um, finding an identity, you know, finding meaning in this spinning earth. Those are all very painful things. And one of the principles that we're grasping at, and John and I have been grasping at with this, and we're not experts, we're not anything on this, we're not any more wise than anyone else, but what we're grasping at, and I think a lot of other people are grasping at, is there's some worthwhileness. There, it is worthwhile to make space for the depth to actually face those deeper pains 
and those deeper uh that deeper promise than just kind of skating on the surface and deal and being in the distraction again is this too much no i buy <laughs> i buy that as a human i subscribe to your disclaimers that we're no experts and we don't know anything but as a human, I think that's much more powerful because otherwise there's this trap of the other healing fantasy of, well, if only, if only I can get to the moment where I don't care, or if only I can get to the moment where I don't care about optimizing, then I will be healed, which is not what you said just now, which I think is important. I think everything you said just now is hard, and it's it's not a cabin of the in the woods or a walk in a park or turning off your push notifications that does it. But there is something about, at least in my own life, shifting my perspective. And let's be honest here as a sidebar, maybe it's just a growing up, like I'm 31, you're however old you are. Like, maybe you just have to turn a certain age and then things start clicking in a better way in regard to all this stuff. Um, but I do, I do buy that all these, all these small tips, life hacks, behavioral adjustments, whatever you say, are, are geared towards having perspective, if nothing else. Uh, a little while back, shifting gears, you were talking about boundaries. And yes. I want to talk about boundaries a little bit because... I think a lot of the stress and anxiety and overwhelmingness of life is about boundaries or lack thereof. And I'm thinking back on, on you and I and thinking about this company, and, and we put together this concept called the great spillover. And the idea of the great spillover was the problem with the world right now is everything runs into everything else. That if you rewind the clock, we used to have this thing called the nine to five, and people hated it then. Uh, but but now we have this thing where it's like, well, it's not the nine to five, it's the 24 seven. And it's, you know, you're working from bed as soon as you wake up in the morning and you're having cocktails with your coworkers halfway through the day. And then you're going home and having a conference call with somebody on the other side of the world. And, you know, your work life and your, your personal life and everything in between all runs into each other. And so we've started this company that has some weird principles like, you actually don't have to hang out with your coworkers and you should only hang out with your coworkers if you want to. You don't have to pretend they're your friends. We, you know, don't do the Silicon Valley thing of having a keg of beer in the office because we think the office is a bad place for a keg as much as the bar is a bad place for a Xerox machine. Do you still subscribe to that? Is that just something we say and 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 how do we how have you fixed that in your own no, life? I, I actually would say say that that idea has held up as one of the strongest ideas we had. I don't regret thinking that at all. I don't think we got that wrong at all. I don't know. You have to find a way to make the resources work within the allotted time. Like part of this is this isn't a have your cake and eat it too. This is a a, a philosophy of limits. Like here's here's the curmudgeon. Here's the real hard thing. The real hard thing is if we're going to believe in the nine to five, you got to get everything done in the nine to five. Yeah, and you have to give up not, the flexibility of, you know, you can't come in at 9.30 or 10, you know, today and whatever time tomorrow. Well, there's an individual level, but there's also a CEO level. It's like, hey, 
you in crafting the use, like one of the jobs of CEO is craft the use of resources and like put them on the table in a right organization to get the most out of them. And if we're saying like, we're going to limit that resource of time because we're going to value the other sectors of people's lives, their family, their fun, their break, whatever, you actually have to do, you have to achieve what you want to achieve with less. And um, it's like a tighten your belt on time as a CEO. Um, and that's hard. Yeah, this that's is like a hard thing. My, my turn to be vulnerable. I think that's super hard. I, I actually, to the point of, I think it's um, deception by like what I would call the Silicon Valley crowd who came along 10 years ago and said, hey, we're cool, we're chill. It's not about what hours you're in the office. It's about how much you produce or get done or whatever. But my problem is, I don't know, a manager, I guess, is nobody really figured out how to build the tools to define what is enough, at least in a growth company, right? Or, uh, you know, lots of different sectors. If you run a nonprofit or if you're starting a project, especially as compared to something steady state, there's always more to do. And the more to do is fueled by ambition, which I mean in the positive sense of the word of we're trying to tackle a project or a cause or something we really care about and necessarily we're strapped for resources because we're building the plane as we're flying it which is how this economy at least works and so I think it's easy to say you know it's do more with less or just be really productive or or whatever but when the clock ticks five or whatever time if you're passionate and committed to your job which hopefully I want everybody to be Right, And I don't want that to be the only thing you have, but I want a job where everybody goes to work every day and feels inspired and motivated and like they're making a difference in the world. It's hard to say I've done enough. And that leads to guilt uh, on an individual level, what's, and I'm speaking yeah, personally. What's so hard about this is, I, you know, I, I have one draft of a thought on this, and I don't know if it's right, but I think it's the best society's come up with. The best society's come up with is that you have to have hard and fast rules about certain things. And we as a culture have to negotiate all of the hard and fast rules and the balance with the hard and fast rules is the, if you have too many, then you're limiting the flexibility of the range of ways people want to organize things. But if you have too few, the urge to be ambitious in your job or do big things or things like that will spill over everything. It is like, it is unsatiable. Um, and so in cultural history, we have, for example, the Sabbath. It's just like um, we wrote about it in the book, the Sabbath, you know, honor that day. I don't care what your excuses are. You got to do it. Um, and then slowly, like the excuses ate away at it. Like in American culture, we've had the weekend, you know, in in some parts of the economy, it's bad to ask people to do something on a Saturday and then super bad to ask them on a Sunday. And we've held some boundaries on that a bit. Um, and one of the projects I think of our time, I'll just say it like I have a political belief of this. We really need a few more hard and fast rules. Like one cause I've, I deeply care about and this is political, but everything's political is like, we need a value parenthood, you know, like we need to start having hard and fast rules around when you just had a baby you know, we need to have hard and fast rules about when you have young kids. We have to have hard and fast rules about, you know, at least some weekend and some limit to the amount of hours on the week. Um, and, 
you know, just like how we have hard and fast rules about how people talk to each other at work and there's just some, you got to hold boundaries. Uh, Paul Goodman, this old, uh, public intellectual at the turn of the century had a book called drawing the line once again. And I love that phrase. It's like the line will be erased by all the excuses and all the desires, but we got to, as a culture, draw the line once again on certain things. That's my take, but I, I understand there are different views on how to, how to na- navigate this. I just wanted to put one underline on something you said, Pete, which is about needing more rules in society, which I really agree with. And I, you know, like one example is we have overtime for what are called non-exempt employees. And I've had conversations in this company where people are, you know, kind of grumbling about why do we have to pay overtime? And the answer is because they're working a ton and we should explore as society, like, should we have overtime for everybody? Not just non, non-exempt or non-salaried workers, but, but for everybody in a world where it's now possible to work all the time. You know, you've made the point before, which, which I also agree with, which is we can experiment with a lot of these things in our individual organizations, and, and we are a getaway, but it's much more powerful if everybody has to play by the same rules, that, you know, it's a form of unilateral disarmament if we say, okay, we're going to, you know, pay everybody overtime and do a four-day four work week and, you know, give more vacation and, and all, all these things, some of which we do and some of which we'd like to try, but that's really hard to do in a context where you are in an economy competing with with other people. And so I I agree with needing more rules. And especially if we think back to that, you know, sort of picture of a 1980s, at least white collar office worker, nine to five economy, they didn't need as many rules because there were physical limitations on how much you could put into your job. When you left the office at the end of the day, if you worked in an office, you went home to dinner and you might've had the urge that you and I do, which is I could do a little bit more tonight, but guess what? The case file is at the office or the, you know, the typewriter or the chunky IBM or whatever it was is sitting miles away from where I am. So you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do work. I'm not going to think about it until tomorrow. But now, now, of course, we have the option at, you know, split seconds notice at the whims of any tiny piece of our attention to dive back into to doing that stuff, be it um, be it work or, or, or projects or and responding to a friend or all, all of these distractions. We, we sound like when we sound like cite these like nine to five things from the past, we sound like nostalgic old fogies, but in how to get away, we found this data and the data is wild. It's like the amount of vacation days people are taking as a whole, as a whole society is dramatically less. And the science of taking a vacation day is dramatically significant of how helpful it is to your mental and physical health. Yeah, and the number of people who are the, taking them are interrupting them, to state the obvious from, I think. Yes, and so experience. this is not like, oh, I kind of feel like something in the past was different. It's literally like the type of the part of the human life cycle kind of in American culture. You know, it's not more than 100 years old. Like, it's... It's only a 20th century thing even having vacation, but like, but at least in the 50 to 70 years that it's been like, there's been a dramatic change and we know that that change matters. So this isn't just kind of cultural nostalgia. It's, it's also uh, a real serious public health threat. And, and we're now left with the question of, I can imagine there are folks that are listening that think all of that sounds well and good. But I really care 
about my thing. I really want to be the best ballet dancer, or I really want to be the best, you know, consultant in my consulting firm, or I really want to be the best college freshman that I can be. And so great, John and Pete, that you've had the opportunity to sit around and like BS all of this stuff. But if I'm going to be great, I can't follow any of those rules. Like, do you think it's possible to be great without going to these extremes that we're, we're trying to get away from? Yeah, so I think there's a, I think half of the situation is a real trade-off, and I think half is not. So I'll start with the real trade-off. The real trade-off is, you know, if you have multiple priorities, you have no priorities. You know, that's an old, like, business school phrase or something. There's a real trade-off. You only have a certain amount of hours in a day. You only have a certain amount of energy. You have a certain amount of focus. Real trade-off. So I don't want to deny that. But there's another half of this where it's a fake trade-off. And actually, by living by healthier things, you it's, a, it's an illusion that you're being more productive. We have all these different study areas. We know that you're most productive in a flow state when you're undistracted. So multitasking doesn't actually help you. We know that when you sleep more, you actually get more depth out of the hours where you're awake when you sleep more. We know that when you're rejuvenated by going away, you come back with more creativity and more uh, action and more things you get done in the other time. So you're actually deluding yourself by thinking that by rising and grinding all the time, you're actually getting more done. And you might actually find out that if you take a few hours out of that and throw it to leisure or throw it to turning off, you'll get more depth out of the hours that remain. So, you know, true, some trade-offs, Got to, you know, you only have a certain amount of time and energy and focus chips in your life. But for this other stuff, at least, you know, there's a lot you can get by turning off and you actually have the same amount of chips and gain chips by turning off, to use the metaphor. My working conclusion on this is I am so drawn to like what you started talking about at the beginning of this, which is I'm just going to tweak my life schedule and I'm going to finally figure out the optimal formula. And when I do that, it's all going to work. And I'm going to work from 9.04 in the morning until 6.02 in the evening. And I'm going to take a 12-minute lunch. But I have to admit that that doesn't work. You know, and, and being a little bit less facetious, I have to admit that there has to be some room for some ebb and flow. That there, at least in my own life, there are periods of intensity where as much as I want to deny that it's true, I just have to be all in for a little while. And the commitment that I now make to myself and and you know those around me that I care about is I'm going to match those periods of intensity with periods of rest. And that's a really hard thing to do. And you know, for me, it's I need my support team of, of Michael, my partner, and my therapist, and my friends, and understanding coworkers to make sure I really do that. Because I've finally learned about myself that if I have a period of intensity where it's I work, you know, I work three weekends in a row, I give up, you know, six full days that should have been off days. I'll then like leave an hour early on the Monday following. I'll be like, oh, I left an hour early. It's even. And that obviously doesn't work out. And so only through the help of others have I started maybe getting to a place where it's like, okay, we can, we can have some ebb and flow here so I don't feel guilty when I'm in one of those periods of intensity. But I am making up for it and living a life that isn't going to burn me out. I love that. Okay, we solved That's it. That's beautiful. But I want I want to leave these nice people uh, with something besides uh, John and uh, John and Pete's philosophical thoughts. So I want I want to push you for 
your practical tips, things that have worked, that have made a little bit of a difference in solving all these things. You do one, I'll do one. We, we'll see how far we can go. Okay. Um, should I just do one? I have a few. Yeah, do one. Per the instructions that have been laid do out. One. Okay, clearly, let me do it. I'll do one. You'll I'll do, do one, one and then I'll do one. And then you'll I... do another one. And then I'll do yeah. another one. Uh, mine is uh, take a bath. The bathtub's a very <laughs> lovely place to relax uh, and be alone with your thoughts. I recommend a candle to go with it. Back to you, Peter. Local municipal parks are completely underappreciated. You don't need to go away to like some national park. Um, they are a real joy to just walk around in. Subscribe to the print edition. The newspaper comes to your home. Then you have a lovely piece of content that you can sit with for hours and consume uh, as much of you as you want. Uh, and I find it very relaxing. And at the end, you get to do the crossword. No one ever, after cooking a meal, says, I really regret cooking this meal. I wish I had been quicker and just ordered takeout. I installed this tool called DND Email. And what it does is prevent email from coming in for whatever hours you set it for. So in my evenings and on my weekends, I do not get email unless I go into this convoluted system and override the setting. I'm going to do another walk one, which is sometimes when a friend wants to hang out, you can say, oh, we should go to dinner or we should do this or whatever. Sometimes you could just say, let's just go on a walk. And it's really wonderful. I like to do walking meetings. Yes. Amen. Okay. Last one to me. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is the big one that I'm really trying to work on is just saying no. Saying no to a dinner party that would probably be really fun. Saying no to a trip that would be just one trip too many and that's the hardest thing for me and I'm, I'm now taking a rip the band-aid off approach I used to let those things like sit in my inbox or my texts while I like hemmed and hawed and didn't commit and now I'm trying to just immediately say no and then I realize I never think about it again and most people don't care <laughs> yeah most people don't care yeah they're like because think about people saying no to you you're mostly like ah okay <laughs> Peter, it's been a joy catching up with you. I would propose we speak only through podcast episodes. That sounds great. Please come on my podcast and then you'll come on, I'll come on yours and that will be our relation. This week, maybe you can check in with an old friend. Pick up the phone, write a letter, send an email. Let them know you're grateful for their friendship. And if you're ready to book your own getaway, you can go to our site and enter promo code CONVERSATION at checkout for $20 off your stay. You can listen to The Getaway Podcast and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.